You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm glad to be here today. Good to see all of you. I have friends here from CFNI and DBU, which is Dallas Baptist University. I don't know why a tongue talker would go to such a school, but <laughs> just kidding. It's a great place. A lot of our students wind up at Dallas Baptist. Amen. This morning I've been, I've been moved by the Spirit to talk to you about the grace of God and the glory of His grace. We're going to title this message, that's what we're going to call it, the glory of His grace. It's a, it's a big topic in the body of Christ, the glory of God. We sing about the glory of God. We pray for the glory of God. We see manifestations of the glory of God. But the Apostle Paul didn't talk about glory too much unless he talked about what really brought glory to you. In Ephesians 1 and verse 6, he says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Listen to me. He made you accepted by the glory of the grace of God. Yes. What is the glory of the grace of God? Your acceptance into the Beloved. That's what this glory provides, acceptance. And what is the glory? Where, where, where do we get the glory? From God demonstrating His grace to us. The glory of, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Now, when is the last time you praised the grace of God? The Bible praises the grace of God. When's the last time you said, Thank you for grace. Grace, I praise the glory of God's grace. I praise grace today. Amen. When's the last time you've ever done it? Never done it. Because we weren't taught to do it. But Paul's doing it right here in the Bible. Praise grace. Why don't you join me in praising grace a little while? I praise grace today. I praise the glory of His grace. I praise, I praise the grace of God today. Glory to grace. Amen. Got to get over using that word. Because most of the body of Christ, the Spirit-filled world, don't like the word grace. They want to try to redefine it. They don't like the idea that it means unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. They don't like that. They don't like that. They don't like that, that you can get something for nothing from God. Pharisees. <laughs> but I'm, I'm convinced that this is not just an old, uh, a New Testament thing. I believe that this has been around for many years. God's desire and willingness to demonstrate His grace to men. Look at Psalm 117, the shortest psalm in the Bible, the shortest chapter in the Bible. Two little tiny verses, Psalm 117. We're going to be covering a lot of Scripture today, so try to keep up. I'll try not to talk too fast. One of my translators down there said, 
Doctor, you got to just talk slower. <laughs> but he said it in Spanish, so I didn't understand him, so I just kept talking fast. <laughs> Psalm 117, verse 1. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. The, word merci the words merciful kindness, it takes two English words to define the one word in Hebrew. It's chesed. C-H-E-S-E-D. Chesed. And that's why you got to say it. They, they told me you got to sound like you're, you're clearing your throat. Chesed. Chesed. C-H-E-D-E-S-E-D. Chesed. And it means, really just means grace. Merciful kindness. It's in the New Testament, we, say, we just say grace. Our word is charis. Charis. It's where we get the word charismatic. C-H-A-R-I-S. Charis. It's, it's, it's gifting. A gift of grace. A gift is not something that can be bought. If you can buy it, it's not a gift. If you can buy it, it's not a gift. Unless you're buying it for somebody else, but it's a gift to them. When the manifestations of the Spirit happen, we get it mixed up, I think, sometimes. Because the Bible calls the manifestations of the Spirit the nine gifts of the Spirit, right? Nine gifts. And we get it mixed up sometimes. We think that I have the gift of healing. Not unless you got healed. You have the, may have the manifestation of healing in you because the Holy Spirit is in you and all nine of these manifestations are in Him. But if He manifests in you through healing, that's just a manifestation of healing in you. But the guy that gets healed is the one that got the gift, isn't he? He got a gift of healing. He got, got healed by a manifestation of the power of God. So this grace of God is pure gift. Nothing that, you can be, that can be worked for. Nothing that can be earned. I love this. It says, look, look at the last phrase of that verse. It says, For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Wait. Not the last phrase, but the next to the last phrase. And the truth of the Lord. Let me read you like, like a Hebrew would have read this. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Now that word nations there is goy, G-O-Y. That's talking about you and me. Amen. The Israelites, way back then, were talking about, were talking to the Gentile nations and saying, Praise the Lord. Worship the Lord. God created all of us to worship Him. Yes. And any nation, even in that time, any nation that came under the rulership of the Lord through, through a, a, a connection with Israel, through, through their uh, circumcision and various things like that, if they would fear the Lord and worship the Lord, then they, God would take them in like, and treat them like He treated Israel. Yeah. All ye nations, worship God. Praise the Lord. And then it says, For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and this truth, here's the way a Jew would read this, and this truth about God will never go away, will endure forever. Amen. It's not saying He has this great merciful kindness and truth, He's saying He has this merciful kindness, and that is the truth about God. Amen. 
That is the truth about God, that He is merciful and kind, and He will never stop being that way. That is the eternal truth about God. If you don't know that truth about God, you've not heard about the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is full of grace. He always has been. He always will be. No matter who likes it or who doesn't like it, this is the God of grace. This is the truth about Him. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And it endures forever. This truth about God endures forever. That He's merciful. He's kind. He's full of grace. Yes. Yes. Glory to God. I wish I could get this message across to more preachers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hesed. And carries. Number one, God will always be gracious. That's the first thought I want to leave you. God will always be gracious. Yeah, but preacher, you don't know what I've done. So what you believe is your evil is, is more evil than God's goodness is good. You believe that you're bigger than God, that you are cap capable of sinning so bad that God's grace cannot cover you. That's what you believe. You believe you are more powerful than God. Your evil is more powerful than God's goodness. That's what you believe. If you think that God cannot forgive you, you think you're bigger than God. Look at two people and say, God can and will and has forgiven you. Come on, tell somebody. Let's turn to John chapter 1 and verse 14. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, the last of the Gospels written. I'm not a fan of the way the Bible is constructed, the way it's put together. I'm a fan of the writing of it, but I'm not a fan of the way the early church fathers put it together. Not a big fan. If you're going to put the Gospels first, put John first. It was written last, but it has the greatest revelation in it. Great revelation in it. John 1, 1, 14. And the Word was made flesh, he says, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What was he full of? Grace. Grace, and this is the truth about him. That he's always full of grace. He's full of grace, truth. That's what the text actually says. Full of grace, truth. I said the text actually says he's full of grace truth. Woo, he's full of grace truth. If you miss the grace of God, you miss the truth about God. And I dare say in most churches in the, city, in the state of Oklahoma, you can go to church five times in a row and rarely ever hear the word grace. How many of you have been to church a bunch and never heard the word Grace. What have we done? We've, we've, we've forgotten what Paul's revelation was. That God is through with sin. He finished sin. And now he's full of grace, truth. He's full of grace, truth. Woo! Not two things. He's full of grace, truth. He's full of grace, truth. I love that. Verse 15, John bare witness, John the Baptist bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. 
grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace truth came by Jesus Christ. Do you see which side the truth is on? The law or, or grace? grace? It's on the side of grace, isn't it? This grace truth came by Jesus Christ. There's no real truth outside of grace. That's the second thing you need to hear me say today. There's no real truth outside of grace. I'm uh, struck by the first council of the church. I keep coming back to that because it, it means so much in our theolo theological thinking. Acts chapter 15 is a pivotal moment that you almost never hear anybody talk about. They almost never talk about Acts chapter 15. Y'all know I, I emphasize Acts 15, but almost no one ever talks about Acts 15. Like they, they, they talk about Acts chapter 2, they'll talk about Acts chapter 10 and chapter 19 and various ones, but they almost never ever talk about Acts chapter 15, which is where our doctrine was really established. Our primary doctrine of how is a person made righteous and how does he keep that righteousness? It was established right there. How is a person made righteous and how does he keep that righteousness? Well, you see, I know it was about how you keep your righteousness because Gentiles were getting saved and coming into the family of God and the Jews, the Pharisees, and, and the, the, the believing Pharisees, it's like a, a believing Pharisee is like a hooker for Jesus. It just it shouldn't be together. They don't go together, you know, believing Pharisees. But in the Bible, they had some of them. <laughs> But these Pharisees, they, they, they heard that the Gentiles up in Antioch were, were getting saved without circumcision, without, without the law. And they came up there and said, you cannot be saved unless, you, unless you're circumcised and keep the law. And this really distressed the people. And they all got together and went down to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas and, and others and Silas went down, down to Jerusalem to talk it over with the elders there. And when they got there, they had this huge squabble. It said, no small dissension. Great, great, great discussion about it. And when Jews talk about religion, man, it can get loud. <laughs> they were talking about it. And the, the Pharisees said, okay, you're believers now. You believe in Jesus. But if you're going to keep what you have, you've got to start doing this. So the discussion had to be about how is a person made righteous and how does one keep that righteousness? It had to be the discussion. And they answered the question once and for all. In verse 9, the apostle Peter stands up and preaches to them. And he says, and, he, and God put no difference between us and them, meaning the Gentiles, talking about Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, purifying their hearts by faith. The reason he knows this, because this is a standout moment for him. He hears the Gentiles speak in tongues. He's back, you, you can go back and look at Acts chapter 10. He hears the Gentiles start speaking in tongues. And he goes, wow, wow what did I just say? What made that happen? You know, it'd be, for, for me, it would be a landmark moment. I'd say, I want to memorize what I just said. Because if, if that's what makes it happen, I need to know what I just said to make that happen. Right? Yeah. right? 
That's why he knows it was by faith, because he remembers what he was saying when they started speaking in tongues. And here's what he was saying. And to him, to Jesus, give all the prophets witness. This is Acts 10, 43. To him, give all the prophets witness that whoever believes on his name shall receive the remission of sins. And while he yet spoke those words, the Holy Ghost fell on all those who heard the word. He knew what he was saying. He was saying, what it takes to get your heart purified is believe on Jesus. Amen. That is right. And he says, and God then put no difference between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. And that's when they got the Holy Ghost poured into them, right? Immediately, immediately upon that moment. Now look at verse 10 of Acts 15. We're in Acts 15, verse 10. Now therefore, why tempt ye God? Woo! Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Peter's saying you're tempting God, listen, to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. When they try to bring the Gentiles under the law, and from under grace, out from under grace, Back under the law, he said, you are tempting God. Hear me, preacher. I'm talking to those who are going to hear this on the internet. Because a lot of preachers download my stuff and listen to it and copy it. And preach it like it's their own. They even tell my stories. <laughs> like they're theirs. If you're stealing the sermon today, preacher... And telling your people God gave it to you, it's okay with me. But what's not okay with me is you add your layer of legalism to this. Yeah. And make grace mean something that it doesn't mean. And tempt God connecting it somehow to me. Please don't do that. You're tempting God when you make legalism part of the gospel. When you make keeping the law of God. The law of God will not make anybody righteous. The grace of God makes men righteous. To put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. Verse 11. But we believe that through the... Oh, there's that word again. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. <laughs> no, they're not going to get saved like we did. We're going to be saved like they were. Amen. The Apostle Peter put the Jew following the Gentile right there. Yes. Not the Gentile following the Jew. The Jew following the Gentile. We believe that in the end of it all, really all that's going to matter is it what we believe about Jesus. Yes, right. amen. Come on, somebody ought to say amen. amen. That sets you free to serve God. Do you know that? that sets you, there's nothing in the Bible says that you need to witness to your friends, your next door neighbors. There's nothing in the Bible says that. And nothing in the Bible says you need, to, you need to give money to the lady in the grocery line and win her to Jesus. And nothing in the Bible says that. But how many of you have had your heart tell you to do it? Yeah. Amen. That's not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible that you're supposed to do that. It's not in the Bible anywhere. But all of you do it. Why? Because you live by a higher law. You live by a higher law. And when it's written down, saying, Thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. Your heart talks to you. Amen. The Spirit talks to you. Glory to God. You get your heart right, God can make you do anything. Amen. God can make you do anything. 
get your heart right. He can make you do anything. You will do anything. You'll be glad to do anything. That's how people could lay down their lives all through, all through the centuries. Christians have gladly, happily laid down their lives for the gospel because it came from within them and not from without. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. The martyrs are not great heroes. They will be, they will get, they're, they're going to be celebrated in heaven. But hear me, I don't want you to make a martyr the greatest hero that ever lived. Listen to me. When the time comes, if it ever happened, I believe every born-again believer, everyone that's a true believer, will have the grace of God on them to die gracefully. You're not going to have to say, are you willing to die for Jesus like, like some monster preacher would do you? You're going to be willing to die for Jesus. Oh, shut up, Frankenstein. I'll be willing if little, if little old washwomen who didn't know anything, couldn't even read, were willing back in the Spanish Inquisition. If they were willing, I'll be willing, I'll be ready yes. if it comes. Amen. 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 Live, and in the meantime, live in joy. Who cares if they take your life? Who cares? That's right. Glory to God. All you're going to do is blink your eyes and open your eyes in glory. You will never know one moment separation from God. Amen. You'll be shouting, and on your way up, you'll be looking down at the guy that killed you and saying, Thanks, buddy, I appreciate it very much. You have no idea what you just did for me. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We really believe in heaven or not? Yes. Amen, I do. Turn to Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. The grace of God. The glory of the grace of God. Amen. What shall we then say that Abraham our father is pretending to the flesh has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has whereof the glory but not before God. So he can't glory in his works, no glory in the works. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that works is, is reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Now let me, let me stop here. Most of you have heard me say these kind of things, but I'm going to do it again. Because all of you have said, you need, to say, you need to say that again, I didn't get it the first time. Well, apparently some of you hadn't got it the first ten times, because I'm, here I am again doing it. <laughs> When something is accounted, that means there's been an accurate assessment of what is at hand. Meaning, if, a, if, an, if a, an accountant is sitting at a table and she has $6 on the table, all she can put in the ledger is $6. She is not allowed to fudge with that. Unless there are certain descriptive notes describing why that, that was put down as, as something else. It has to be accounted for some other way. There always has to be an accurate accounting. And when the Bible uses this term, and God accounted it to him as righteousness, that means something special. It means something really important. That if, if you have, now let me ask you something. How many of you know, know anything about bookkeeping? You know what I'm saying is right. Okay. If you got $6 on the, on the table, you got to put what in the ledger? $6. If you got half a dozen dollars in the, in the table, can you, what do you put in the ledger? You put six. Well, is six, you can, you can put six if you've got a half a dozen, you can put six if you've got six. Yeah. Why is that? Because it's the same thing. It's the same thing, as they say in Italy. Same thing. It's the same thing. That's why you can put six in there if it's a half dozen, and six if it's six. Now, if you got seven, you put six in there. They're gonna be looking. They're gonna come looking for that dollar. You think you got away with it? They're going to come looking for that dollar. It's, it's going to show up somebody because somebody 
was responsible for that $7 before you got, it got to you. They're going to find you. I can just imagine in heaven, God's not his own bookkeeper. Surely they've got an angel bookkeeper up there. <laughs> Malachi 3.16 says they do. It says, it, says they, they, they write it down every time you think about his name. Somebody's writing it down. God says, oh, did you, hear, did you hear what Holler just thought? That was awesome. Write that down. Came right from his heart. They're writing your stuff down, all the good things you think about the Lord. They're writing it all down. He said to the accounting angel, I, I believe, come over here, bring that big book. I want you to open up to Abram. That'll be close to the front. A, B. Open that book up and let's put, let's put righteousness under his account. I can just see the angel, right. That's a big word, Lord. How do you spell that? Could, could I look on your desk and see? Yeah, have a look over here. Looks over on, on, on the Lord's desk and he sees faith. Lord, I didn't know righteousness was started with an F. Sounded like a rr rr to me. <laughs> righteousness. They have phonics in heaven. He said, "No, that, this, uh, what I have here is faith, but write righteousness in the book." Now, Lord, you know how the IRS is. And I'm part of the FDIC, and if I, if I, if I don't have the right number here, that somebody's going to get in trouble, and they're not coming looking for you, they're coming looking for me. That's what the accountant always says. They're going to come looking for me, Lord. Write down righteousness. Yes, sir, I will write down righteousness, but Lord, before I write down righteousness in, in obedience to my king, you are God, and whatever you say is. But I cannot put something in this book that's not on your desk. Unless I hear you, the judge of all the earth, say that faith and righteousness are the same thing. And don't tell me that faith will collect interest and make me righteous one day. Don't tell me that it looks a lot like righteousness. Tell me that faith and righteousness are the same thing. God said, write down righteousness. And all that can mean is if faith can be accounted as righteousness, then faith is righteousness. Tell somebody else, faith is righteousness. I'm not making this up. I'm telling you what the Bible says. Because it comes from the heart. Believing the message. Believing God from the heart. Amen. He calls that righteousness. Amen. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Okay. If somebody says, one time I was trying to borrow some money. And this little banker was giving me a hard time. I said, do you not see my record? I pay paid, I paid my bills all the time. I've borrowed so much money through the years. Yes, sir, but if we're going to give you this much money, I said, hold it right there. I didn't realize you were giving me the money. <laughs> if you're going to give me the money, you can have my mama's life or whatever. If you're giving me the money, I'll tell you anything. She said, sir, I didn't mean that. I said, that's what you said. Well, I said, I thought you were selling money. You ain't giving nothing. Because I don't know what a gift is. I've had lots of them given to me. But the banks don't give you gifts. They sell you money. That money you borrowed, they didn't give it to you. They sold it to you. They loaned it to you for a while. So she uh, changed her tune. 
I know you're giving it to me. If you're going to give it to me, you can have my mother's birthday, my mother's, you can have all my information. You can have my, how old my kids are. You can have everything if you're giving me the money. Because you cannot call it grace or a gift if you've got to pay it back. Your performance cannot be based on the idea that God wants to, you to pay Him back now that He's been so gracious to you. If you have to pay back with good performance, you're still not saved by grace. That's good. That is excellent. If, it, if an expectation is put, up, put upon you to live right because He saved you, you're not saved by grace. The expectation of holiness is not put upon you because He saved you by grace. That expectation comes from inside. You automatically, because of love and because of grace, will think, I need to do better. Amen. It's your gift to God. It's not God's demand from you. It's what you give Him in return. Dylan already said something about it today. Because of the grace of God in our hearts, it makes us want to live for Him. If you don't have a want to to live for Him, you need to get saved by grace. When you're saved by grace, you come under the law of love and you can't get over it. You just cannot get over Jesus. Can I have a good amen? amen. Verse 5 of chapter 4 of Romans. But to him that worketh not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David describes the blessedness of of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Listen to verse 7. I want you to hear what verse 7 actually says. Saying, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now what does that mean? Would God ever impute sin to somebody who had not committed any sins? No, He wouldn't. Why? Because they had earned that. God would never impute sin to someone who had never committed sin. But He did Jesus. And because He did Jesus, now He does not impute sin to you. Amen. But wait a minute, well, I have committed sin, holler. <laughs> you might not have been there, but <laughs> I did. Yeah, I was there because I was with you. Anybody in the room never committed sin? I didn't think so. <laughs> Miss Ann, you're an exception, but. <laughs> no. This is the beauty of the grace. The glory of grace says, I do not impute sin. It can only mean to those who have sin. He imputed their sin over onto Jesus. This is what the gospel really means. When it says, Christ died for our sins. Amen. Most of you already know this, but some of you are hearing this for the first time. The good news about, about your sin is that it died when Jesus died. Glory. And all you do is now believe it. Yes. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. I, can't, I never get tired of hearing it, do you? No. You never get tired of hearing the gospel. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. 
Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned, when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Now what he's saying is, Abraham is the father of the Jew and the Gentile. He was made righteous before he was circumcised. He was made righteous in Genesis 15. Now he had already been obedient to God in chapter 12, but he wasn't righteous. He had already been blessed by God in chapter 13, but he wasn't righteous. He had been victorious in battle in chapter 14 and had even tithed to Melchizedek in chapter 14, but he wasn't righteous. Did you notice that? He was obedient. He was victorious. He was a tither. He was blessed. But none of those things made him righteous. Put that in your Pentecostal pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Obedience did not make him righteous. Amen. It just didn't. What did? Chapter 15. And Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Amen. He wasn't made righteous until he believed. Until yep. he believed the message that God was going to give him a miracle son, which is really talking about Jesus. <coughs> he believed on Jesus by believing on Isaac. But then chapter 17 comes and he, and he, and he uh, uh, circumcises himself. Yikes. It's bad enough with painkillers and doctors and being a baby where you never remember it. But a full-grown man circumcising himself, ouch. All the men wish you had a pillow right now, don't you? Or something. He circumcised himself not to be righteous because he was already righteous. But then in chapter 22, something marvelous happens. This is after 17. Righteous in, by, by faith in 15, circumcised in 17. And then James says that he was, in chapter 2, James chapter 2 says he was justified, made righteous, that, that is, when he offered up his son Isaac. Now, how did he do that? How can you be made righteous twice? Well, he had to be righteous, be made righteous the way a Gentile was made righteous because before he was circumcised. And then after he was circumcised, he was the father of the Jews, and he was made righteous by some expression of his faith, by offering up a sacrifice of his son. Wow. Wow. So he indeed is the father of the Jew and the Gentile. And by the way, the book of James was written to the Jew. Unless you can tell me what tribe you're a part of. Because it was said to the 12 tribes scattered. That's real specific of who this letter goes to. Scattered where? Amongst the Gentiles. He's making sure that the Gentiles don't think that this letter is written to them. But it's a funny thing. A church that doesn't believe in the, in the existence of Israel and, and, and the Jews' right to exist and the Jews' right to have their own deal with God a church that doesn't believe that thinks, that thinks that it's all written to them and they live their entire life in confusion. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Trying to make James blend with Paul's doctrine. It won't work. 
I've been at this a long, long time, longer than some of you have been alive, and you cannot blend James and Paul's doctrine and make it come up, make, make, make any sense. Right. I've heard all the great theologians, that read all their books on it, trying to make sense of it myself, and none of them made any sense of it. None of them make any sense. Because you have to realize that the Jews have a benefit that is far beyond your understanding. What advantage then has a Jew? Paul said, much every way. And ways we may never understand. But they have a right. And I don't have a right to complain about how, they, how God treats them. I have no right at all. I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> I'm just glad to be here. Whatever you do with the Jew is your business, Lord. I'll leave them to you. I have students sometimes that hear me talk like this and they go, well, what about, how, is it, how are we supposed to reach the Jews? I said, why would you even think about the Jews? Less than two-tenths of one percent of the world's population. When you're looking at, when you're looking at the Jews and you're all concerned about them, you are overlooking 99.8% of the world's population. What is wrong with you? Have you lost your mind? It's like having a filet mignon and potatoes and great veg vegetables and find a hare. You know what I do about that? I move the hare and eat the plate. That's what I do. <laughs> Move the hair. Amen. Don't let it ruin your appetite. Just eat, man. Just eat. <laughs> what if there's another one in there? Eat. <laughs> Stay after that 99.8%. That's most everybody lives in Durant. That's most everybody lives in Durant. Yeah. What's the name of that catfish place over there in Kingston? BGs. If we were all Jews, they wouldn't have a job. There wouldn't be no place called BGs. They don't eat catfish. In fact, we went to Israel last May, and I'm here to report to you that I love that land, and I love the people, but I hate their food. You can't find a piece of bacon anywhere. And bacon with, food without bacon is almost impossible for me to eat and enjoy. Verse 12, and the father of the circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of the, that faith of our father, Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the third thing I'm going to say about this glorious grace is salvation comes from a beautiful mix of faith and grace. Now, I'm almost, almost finished. Who will give me five minutes? I don't look like it's about 35, uh, 45. <laughs> There's a Greek word that appears two times in the New Testament. It's in John, John 19, 28 and John 19, 30. It's the word tetelestai. Tetelestai. One rendition of the word is they shorten it sometimes into teleo. Teleo, T-E-L-E-O. The other one is spelled T-E-T-E-L-E-S-T-A-I, Tetelestai. You want to make a friend of the word by saying it? Tetelestai. You don't want to make a friend of the word by saying it, all right. <laughs> Literally translated, the word means it is finished. 
The word occurs in John 19, 20, 28, and 19.30. And these are the only two places in the New Testament where, it, where you find it. It says this in verse 28. After this, when Jesus knew that all things were now completed in order to be that the Scripture might be fulfilled, He said, I thirst. Now completed is the telestai. Two verses later, he utters the word himself. Then when he received the sour wine, Jesus said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Gave up his spirit. Telestai is what he really said. He didn't say it is finished because he doesn't speak English. He said telestai. It is finished. But it's a little deeper than that. In lots and lots of uh, old Greek documents, especially in deeds and bills of sale, often a bill of sale would start out, if it had already been paid, it would start out with that word, tetelestai. Because the word doesn't mean it is finished only. Mostly it means paid in full. Glory to God. Amen. Paid in full. That's what Jesus was really saying. When he said it is finished, he really said, Tetelestai, paid in full. Glory to God. Whatever you needed, he was paying for it right there. You needed health in your body, he paid for it right there. If you needed prosperity, he paid for it right there. But most of all, if you needed forgiveness of sins, he paid for it right there. Praise God. Receipts were often used with, introduced by the phrase telestai, usually written in abbreviation, but then the connection between receipts and what Christ accomplished would have been quite clear to John's Greek-speaking readership. It was unmistakable that they believed that Jesus Christ had died to pay for their sins. The glory of grace is that it can be received by inglorious people. Yee! The glory of the grace of God is that it can be received by inglorious people. People who are quite unworthy of it. Years ago in West Texas, I was pastoring a church out there. A young woman had started coming to the church. But her husband wasn't in church yet. He was a stinker. He had a, an, an excavation business. Ran dump trucks. He and her both did. The woman in West Texas is a little bit different. She had a pink dump truck. And they were dirt haulers, him and her. It's a two-person business, him and her. His and hers trucks is what they had, and they had a front-end loader. And they traveled and did, I mean, they, they hauled dirt. Little tandem axle trucks, you know. And uh, one day, uh, I got a call from her mother-in-law because her mother-in-law and father-in-law were staunch members of our church. Been there a long time. And she was just coming in. Her husband, who had been raised in church, was rebellious as all get out, and had named his company the Silver Bullet after some beer. Israel, what is that? I, I, I don't know, but I thought Israel might know. Coors Light? Oh, you do know. Okay. You find out things in church. The Silver Bullet, he called his, uh, his company because he really liked to drink beer. And uh, she called me, her, her mother-in-law called me, his mom called me and said, Pastor John, would you go see Christina? Because she got a bad report from the doctor. You know she's expecting. I said, yeah, I know she's expecting. She got a bad report from the doctor. 
please go see her and pray for her because they want, they're, they're recommending that she terminate the pregnancy. These, these tests, they have one more battery of tests, but these tests are terrible. It makes it look like the, the baby's going to be born uh, Down syndrome, maybe other birth defects. It just looks really bad. They're recommending termination of the pregnancy. And I said, well, what's she thinking about it? And she said, well, she's not going to terminate the pregnancy because she doesn't believe in abortion. Praise God, she just got in church and just got to learning some things, you know. So I went over to their house, and when I stepped up on the porch, I remember the moment. I stepped my foot up on their porch, and I heard the Holy Ghost say, Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. So I quoted Mark 11. I went in there, and they were crying, and I grabbed them, and we hugged, and we prayed together, and wept, just stood there and cried together a little bit. I said, I've come with a word from God for you. She said, what's that? I said, open your Bible. And she opened her Bible to Mark 11, 23 and 24. And she read probably for the first time in her life. I said, read it out loud. She read these words. For verily, verily, I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24 says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. She said, this is a word for me. I said, yeah, it's in the Bible, isn't it? She said, all right. Slammed that Bible shut and laid it down on the stove. It wasn't on. Just laid it down on a big wood stove there that they had. And she said, that settles it. That settles it. If that's my word from God, I'm hanging on to that. And I said, good. And we rejoiced a little while and I left. A few days later, because she had to go back in for another battery of tests, and she did. And she came back. And went back to work. She went back to her pink truck. And her mother-in-law comes driving up real fast one day and says, Christina, Christina, you've got to call the doctor. They've got, they got, they got a report for you. And she says, I'm not going to the doctor. I'll tell them I've already got a report. i got the report of the Lord. My baby's going to be fine. And she said, but Christina, they, really, they won't tell me anything, but they really want to tell you something about the baby. She said, I'll call them when I get home. Well, what if the doctor's closed? She said, I don't care. I'm driving my truck. I'm done. Finally, she got off, and she went home, and she called the doctor's office, and they answered. And the nurse isn't supposed to tell it, you know. The doctor's supposed to tell it. But the nurse accidentally told it when, she, when Christina said what she said. The, uh, the nurse said, uh, Mrs. Fiesel, we need you to come in and, and con 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 have a consultation with the doctor. These, these, these last tests have come in, and... Uh, and uh, we need to get, give you a report on, on your pregnancy. She said, I've already got a report on my pregnancy. My baby's fine. And the nurse said, who told you? <laughs> she said, nobody told me, but you just did. <laughs> she said, well, please don't. She said, you need to come talk to the doctor. She said, look, I'm not going to terminate this baby. Don't care how many doctors tell me to terminate the baby. My baby's fine. She said, well, the report says your baby is fine, but we'd really like to run some more tests. She said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm fine. This baby's fine. I've got the word of the Lord. I, I spoke to the mountain. My baby's going to be healed. The first time I told this story in church, there was a baby crying. We didn't normally have babies crying in the auditorium because we had a beautiful nursery, and mamas always took their babies to the nursery. They had no idea I was going to be telling this story that day. First time I ever told the story. There was this baby crying, interrupted me the whole time I'm telling the story. And I look back there, and it's him. T.C. Fiesel. We call him T.C. Terry Christopher Fiesel. 
And, uh, and I said, folks, this baby's been inter interrupting me the whole time. Is the baby I'm talking about. A few years later, I was walking down the hallway in our school, and there he came, little blonde-headed, toe-headed kid, cute little boy. I said, TC, how you doing? I tossed his hair. He said, I'm fine. I'm a miracle baby. <laughs> He's still fine. He's a miracle baby. Amen. This, oh, and his dad, you know what his dad did? I told you the name of the company. His dad then changed the name of the company. Because during all that, while they were waiting to get the reports and everything, and believe in God, his dad's driving along the highway one day, and the devil says to him, you can't move, faith, move, move mountains with faith. He said, just about that time I drove by a pasture, a field, where there used to be a hill. And that hill was gone because I had moved it. <laughs> I had moved that hill, that whole hill with my truck and tractor. He said, and I said to the devil, if I can move it with a truck, God can move any mountain with, a, with faith. Amen. So, he went home, called up a printing office and worked up the papers and changed the name of his company from Silver Bullet to Mountain Movers. Hallelujah. Amen. The glory of, of grace is that it can be received by inglorious people. Psalm 117. We're back there. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations, all ye goy, all ye okies. Praise Him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. This truth about the Lord endures forever. Would you stand upon your feet and praise him a little while? Let's just stand upon our feet. We're, we're encouraged to praise him for the glory of his grace. Praise him for a little while. Lift your hands and just praise him a little while for his grace. We praise you today, Jesus, for your grace. The glory of your grace. We praise grace.